0: It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the recap edition. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless also in Auburn, Alabama. Hello, Painter. What's up, brother? So I want to go ahead and apologize in advance. Um, I probably sound terrible on this podcast. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that this happens at least a couple times a year for me. Uh, every time the temperature changes, whether positively or negatively, in a, uh, in a significant way, um, my sinuses say, you're done. So, uh, I sound like somebody just punched me in the face. That's why. Um, but, we've got a job to do, uh, and uh, it is to recap Auburn's 21-17 loss to LSU, a game that I covered Painter You were at I guess My first question to you is When When LSU got that defensive touchdown That scoop and score And then Auburn went down the field And kicked The Field goal and missed I felt from that moment That it was like Okay That I mean like Probably not the way it ended, but it's just like, oh, this game, like, at that moment I thought, well, LSU's going to lead at some point in this game. Like, Auburn's not going to cruise the rest of the way. And I felt that in the press box, and I think I kind of felt that from some of the folks around me, just because, you know, sports writers, people who cover Auburn, we've seen it a lot, uh, we <laughs> can be very cynical and very negative, um... Even covering good teams, that's just how sports writers are. In the stadium, though, in the fan base, kind of, did, did you have that same feeling, or kind of when did you feel like, oh yeah, this thing, this thing's turning?
1: Obviously, they had a chance to go up twenty-four points, and instead, there was a big swing where they end up giving points to LSU. And from that point on, it's like, all right, it's only a ten-point game. We got a full half to go, more than a half.
0: And, and the fact was is that it's the half that. Auburn hasn't done anything in uh, against a quality opponent in a while. Um, I mean, by by now you've you've probably you know read and, and heard the the stat, but I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you one more time um, in case you haven't. Uh, Auburn in their last eight games against Power Five opponents, they've now been outscored one hundred and four to twenty one in the second half. Um, like you know, what's what's it gonna take, right? Like what when when you start losing that momentum, it was like okay, Auburn's gonna have to do something they haven't done really since uh Bo Nix's injury on offense, and then in the second half, it's just you gotta figure it out, and so this one was different. Auburn loses again, 21-17. We're here to talk about it. This one was different because I thought it was, and I wrote about this in the observation, I felt like it was the extreme example. Um, Because, you know, you, you have a game where you had your chances. You know, um... The first three times, and we've talked about it this season, we've talked about echo rate, we've talked about scoring opportunities, but basically the thing is, analytics-wise, if you cross the 40-yard line in a game, if you cross the opponent's 40, that's considered a scoring opportunity. And the first three times Auburn had one of those against LSU, they scored. Touchdown, touchdown, um, field goal. They had four more opportunities in the second half, and they got zero points out of them. Against Penn State, the story of the game was Auburn, you lost a chance to really add points, stay in the game, kind of feel differently in the first half because they couldn't finish their drives. Field goals, turnovers. This game is the opposite because it was the second half. And so even though LSU scored on a defensive touchdown, even though LSU did not have a great game on offense by any means. In fact, as I'm sure we'll talk about, this was one of Auburn's best defensive games against an SEC opponent in more than a decade. Statistically. But if you don't finish your drives, you don't win games. That's just that's just the bottom line. This This sport is about finishing your drives. You can get yards. You can get explosive plays. Auburn had a ton of explosive plays in this one compared to normal. But if you don't finish your drives, you're not going to have a chance to win. You can't put a team away that you have on the ropes. you know. And, and Auburn had chance after chance. They, like I said, four times across the 40 in the second half, they come up with zero points. Before we get any further, I want to say this, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. Obviously, after the game, Brian Hartson's press conference. There's a lot of fans that are out for blood right now. Right. So any quote you tweet, anything you see, it's getting picked apart. And, I, and look, I get it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that's that's wrong for I mean fans. When you lo- see your team lose like that, you're up seventeen nothing and you lose. You don't score again. It happens, right? There was a thing that was talked about last night in the postgame among players and then Brian Harson. I believe Nathan King also asked it about it directly. When you look at Auburn's second half problems, the fact that they haven't scored they've they've scored more than seven they've played ten SEC games under Brian Harson at this point. Ten. And they've only scored double digit points in the second half on two of them. And that was two of the first three. Got now seven in a row where they haven't done that. And again against LSU, you get shut out. It's this recurring theme, and it's like, okay, what's the difference? You know, what's or what or what? I guess not. What's the difference? Like what? What's happening? The players and Harson say like it's execution. I think there's a I think there's a tendency for people to say, fans, upset fans after the game, fans who are upset with Brian Harson and his staff, to say that okay, when you say it's an execution problem, you're absolving yourself of blame, you're throwing your players under the bus, etc. I I view it differently. Harson said a couple times in his press conference, again on Saturday, Hey, this starts with me. Hey, we all have to get better. We all have to like. This is not a coach I think that's refusing to take any blame for this, even though I think that's kind of some of the narrative uh, for some of the fans. Here's the thing: Auburn's players did not execute in the second half on offense against against LSU with when they had their opportunities. Right? Coymore throws that interception. Um, you know, Auburn turns the ball over uh, multiple times. I mean, you Keontae Scott. Muffs the punt? Uh, Robbie Ashford throws a pick on a play where guy just out muscles Coy Moore. Um, it just errors in in finishing drives. Just it, it, Anders Carlson misses a field goal, like you know. And I don't know that was in the first half, but all those things happen. There's so many different examples that you can name. By saying it's an execution problem doesn't rid the coaching staff. Of blame. I I don't think that's the case at all. Because here's the thing. Those guys are paid millions of dollars to make sure the execution's right. Right? And when it's recurring. You know, it would be one thing if it was one player or one position group. Or one situation that costs you. But if we're getting into the seventh SEC game in a row where this team can't do anything offensively in the second half. These guys are getting paid millions of dollars to make sure the execution's right. And so, I don't think that's saying no blame here. You know, throw your players under the bus. I get why some fans are thinking that, but I think we said this the, heading into the season, and it still remains true. Five games in, this was a this was a year where Brian Arson doubled down on his guys, his way, his system and these are the results right now. And like I you can't you can't go away from that. You can't can't shy away from that at all at this point.
1: The staff certainly lost any benefit of the doubt even if there are definitely elements of truth to the players not executing. Uh, and I think something we talked about in the build up to this game was that LSU has tended each week to look a little bit better. It's hard to say that Auburn has shown any signs of improvement, not just over the last few weeks, but really since the second half of last season.
0: Here's the thing. It's, it's an extreme example in this game because Auburn, you know, two weeks ago against, against Penn State, they get blasted in the second half on both sides of the ball. And last week, I thought Auburn's defense did enough to win the game against Missouri. Not perfect. Same thing here. Okay. There were mistakes on defense. Explosive runs from an LSU team that hasn't really been running the ball super well this season. They had two explosive pass plays. One of them was a pass to the running back who was wide open. That's a breakdown. Only one downfield pass that worked. The stat that I keep coming back to that's wild to think about is this. LSU averaged 3.27 yards per attempt. That's the worst an Auburn opponent has done through the air. In SEC school, I should say. Since 2008. None of those Kevin Steele defenses did that. Right? And, and like, Jaden Daniels got rattled and didn't look great. And, you know, I think LSU's, LSU's offense in general just wasn't very good on, on, on Saturday. But... Auburn's defense played a part in that. They played a big part. The defensive line set the tone for the game. They got after Jaden Daniels. They rattled him. You know. Side note on that, Eculiota leaves the game early, and that doesn't look good because he left the game and came back, I thought, rather quickly in street close. So we'll 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 hear, you know, kind of the extent of the injury probably on Monday <clears throat> when Harson talks, but even still, Marcus Bragg steps up and makes plays. Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, Marcus Harris, uh, Jason Jones lands on a fumble late that gives Auburn some life. You you had a couple pass interference calls. You had some mistakes. But LSU had 270 yards of offense. They averaged 3.8 or 3.6 yards per play that's the lowest a team has played has had on uh, on offense against auburn in a game that auburn lost since 2007 like you wasted a fantastic defensive performance cuz in modern football if a team only scores 14 points on offense two touchdowns on 13 drives and, and 270 yards of offense, 85 rushing, or sorry, 85 passing yards, 185 rushing yards, look, that's good enough to win a lot of football games. All you got to do is hold up your end of the bargain on offense. And the funny thing is, they did it. Like, hold up your end of the bargain. Like, Auburn's offense moved the ball. They showed some progress. They showed some life. Like, you partly held up your wire. I should say that you partly did. But it's the same stuff. Can't score in the second half. And dadgum, man, these turnovers. A week after you're gifted the turnover to win the game against Missouri. And, of course, Derek Hall's interception sets up another touchdown. Or sets up a touchdown for you in that game. Auburn's four turnovers to LSU's one. Now, LSU only scored off of one of those directly, and, or at all, and then that was the direct one, to, the, the scoop and score, that started the comeback. But, yeah, like, you can't win. You can't win turning the ball over that much, especially if your defense is just not forcing turnovers. This is just... Auburn's Auburn has turned the ball over four times in two of their last three games. The last time Auburn turned the ball over more than four or four more times in multiple games in a single season was 2012. And it's like end of the Tyler era, 2012. We keep coming back to those two pots when it comes to these stats and it's like I think that personally, I think that says says it all. Like these are the seasons you're now getting compared to. And in 2008, 2007-2008, Auburn, and, and 08 was Tuberville's final year. What happened that year? Auburn had some really great defensive performances, and the offense let them down enough, and that was it. Losing season, game over. You're trending in that direction. I think you were trending in that direction already. Last week against Missouri, you got two gifts that gave you a win. This week, not as much.
1: The, uh, I don't know, it's kind of astounding, honestly, to have that many turnovers and still be in a position to win the game.
0: Yeah, and it's like, Robbie Ashford threw for three thirty seven in this game. Only completed 50% of his passes. Made some mistakes. Had, you know, had, had had an interception which i think was more of hey great play by the defensive player Coymore lost that that uh that throw thoroughly um lost that rep um i mean got the ball down field kept plays alive looked for i mean auburn found 50% completion but you know, like 8 9 yards per attempt two touchdowns that's what you want I think we've seen from the first few games of the season, don't really think you're going to expect a guy like Robbie Astrod to be a guy who completes 70% of his passes. But if he can run and manage and be explosive, that's a lot better than, than than the alternative. And so, yeah, Astrid's going to make mistakes. I mean, this is only his second ever start. You want him to play better. You want him to play tighter in certain areas for sure, but I think some of it just comes with the territory, and yet there were so many good things that he did: scrambling, throwing the ball down the field, uh, running it. You know when he had those opportunities. But yeah, like your turnovers, your turnovers kill. It will kill you. One one turns into a touchdown, right off the right off the rip for LSU. Two of them end scoring drives, scoring chances, and then another one. Um, turns out not to be painful as, as painful because Auburn forces a turnover on the other side of the coin of uh, the, the Keontae Scott muff punt. And like, he's been explosive and he's been dangerous back there in terms of the threatening, but like that one was coming. Auburn fumbled the ball six times in this game. They only lost two of them. This thing could have been a whole lot worse. Auburn's turnover margin for the season is nine. Nine. That is tied for fourth worst in college football New Mexico State, Temple, and Stanford Are the uh, three teams that ha- that are ha- only have a worse um, Turnover margin than Auburn New Mexico State's one and five Temple is Two and three Stanford's one and three This is the neighborhood of teams that you're in right now when you play like that. Like, I'm trying to look to see, like, Alabama's negative three. You're three times as bad as as Alabama. Like, Alabama's like, oh, we're not turning the ball over, or we're turning the ball over, and we're not forcing turnovers. It's a real problem for them. Auburn's three times as worse as that. Like, it takes a while when you look at turnover margin looking at it on CFA Stats, it takes a while to, like, you look at Auburn and then you go up, it takes a while to see a team that's doing well this season.
1: I am stunned at how bad they are at protecting the football. Um, And I know that we can talk about turnovers in some real, you know, real way, like, turnover luck exists. Oh, yeah. You know, but at the same time, there has to be a common denominator. When it's this frequent, I can only look. At execution for so long, where it's like, how is a team this ill prepared to like do one of the basic functions of the game, which is not give the other team extra possessions?
0: Yeah, it's like it, six fumbles in this game. You only lose two of them. So you're kind of fortunate there. Just in the, just if you think like <clears throat> generally, like say like ever, like 50, it's a 50 50 shot if you put the ball on the ground. Usually, if you if you lose it, I. It's just the it's the preparedness, you know. That does come down to coaching. Like I said, you can say, "Hey, these guys don't need to put the ball on the ground." Hey, these guys don't need to put the ball in harm's way, throwing it. But it's I mean, that comes down to coaching. It does. It it when it's a trend, it's the guys who get paid. And like. It's like it's not that Auburn's offense it's not like Auburn's not talented. It's not like they don't have the players. I mean they, they the same players that held LSU to 270 yards of offense, the same players that got explosive plays, like seven explosive plays in the passing game. That's the same ones that are making these same mistakes as well. So it's like, "Oh, right, what's what's the what's the common denominator?" and sure yeah players are going to te- players are going to take blame for this they're the ones who've got to go out and execute for sure but they're not getting paid a salary and so like when it's when it's recurring it would be like i said earlier like it would be one thing if it was this guy made this mistake or this position group made these mistakes or this one like it's 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 the turnover problems. It's the lack of doing anything offensively, like putting the ball in the end zone in the second half or getting points on the board in the second half. It's those kind of things that again it's gonna it's gonna come back to coaching. And like I said earlier, I don't see Brian Harson or at least I'm not picking up the vibe of throwing his guys under the bus saying. that. I mean he has said it's on it's it starts with me. We've all got to get better. We've like, I think when, like people are tired of hearing ex- hearing execution. And Harson even said that, like after the game, um, when Nathan asked him, you know, players keep saying that this is execution. What do you say? And he said, Harson said, "quote I know everyone wants an answer that's greater than that, but it really comes down to that." Uh, later on, he says, um, overall, it comes down to four quarters of executing and doing the little things, the little details of the little things that show up. There are plenty of things that we did that hurt ourselves, and that's going to happen in games. There's never going to be a perfect game. I wouldn't expect that from any player on the field whatsoever. It's another good point. It's college football. Guys are going to make mistakes. Things are going to happen. Bad stuff's going to happen. You can't expect these dudes to play perfectly. like, but, but, you can expect them to be... Sorry, excuse me. You can expect them to play cleaner than than they have. This is when you start to eliminate those things. That's when you get more consistency within your program. It really comes down to execution. And like, that's again, that's, you know, that's that. I, I don't think that's a situation where you talk about execution and you say, well, that's all on the players. It's never that simple, right? Like it's never as simple as saying like, well, it's all on this guy or it's all on that guy. When you keep doing these things as a program, and again, we're talking about the seventh game in a row against an SEC opponent where stuff like this happened, where you have a double-digit lead and you blow it. I think that was what—that's the fifth time that this has happened. And if it wasn't for Missouri dropping the ball, literally, you'd be zero and five in those games.
1: So, in half of Auburn's ten games under Brian Harson, they have held a double-digit lead, and then, and. Did you say one time out of those five they've they've ended up winning?
0: SEC games, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And the only and and it's only been twice where they've scored more than seven points in the second half. And it's two out of the first three times they played. LSU last year, his first SEC game, and then Arkansas two weeks later, which is probably gonna go out as one of the best games Auburn's ever played under Brian Harson. It's a huge it's a huge streak. I mean even the Ole Miss game that Auburn won. That I mean, that was the second half where they didn't do anything on offense. Raced out to a big lead. Or raced out to an early lead. Alright. Let's talk about the Coymore interception. Because I wrote about it in the observations and I have to I have to bring it up again. So Auburn... Is driving early in the fourth quarter. They get the ball to uh, let's see the seven. It's third and seven. They throw a quick one to Coy Moore. He's marked short. These are people were talking about possibly targeting. I think I think I saw Pablo tweet about that during the game. Anyway, fourth and one. Auburn sneaks it, gets the first down. All right. First and goal at the five. First play. Fumbled snap. Loses five yards. All right, so there's one. Second and ten. Auburn calls a play where they run a jet sweep to Coymore. Coymore runs to to the sidelines. Nobody looks like he's open. Gets hit as he throws. Goes right to. Harold Perkins Jr., for LSU. Interception. Plays over. Just absolutely stunning play for a lot of reasons. Okay, so you go with a trick play like that. Harson says it was in the game plan. They had called it up. They had worked on it during the week. And he said there's one receiver was supposed to be open. It's Cannon Brown. So we were trying to get him to slip. This is a quote from him. Quote, we were trying to get him to slip through and sneak out the back if it wasn't there throw him away. And so they locked him being brown up on that. The decision would have been to throw away there. I don't know exactly what happened, you know, we'll look at it. All that. Turns out to be a turnover, kills Auburn's best scoring opportunity for the for in the second half. I mean, you hold on to it, kick a field goal, it's a one-point game. You're looking at things a little bit differently. Once you make a stop again in the fourth quarter, we got all that. Calling a play to the short side of the field where there's only one pat or receiving option, that's already like questionable play design, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm not an offensive coordinator, but at least you can see that that's pretty questionable. Here's the other problem, and Harson said it. If it wasn't there, throw it away. Reasonable. Here's the problem. If you throw the ball away, and you were not the guy who took the snap, you don't have the same intentional grounding protections that the quarterback does. Meaning, if Coymore throws that ball away, potential grounding goes is basically like a sack. Now that's better than what happened. Right. But even the play design. And this goes, I mean, if you take a snap, if you take the snap, you have that protection where the pocket, you know, you gotta be outside the pocket. You can throw it away. You can do all those things. But if you're not the quarterback on the play, you don't get those same protections. Two examples I can point out. Number one, do you remember the 2017 Clemson game? Auburn tries a sweet flea flicker, you know, reverse. Ball goes back to Jarrett Stidham. Ball's not open. Boom, throws it away. And Intentional grounding. I remember Gus, I, I actually read something about this. I Alex Kirshner, our buddy wrote it at SB nation for it. I, while I was reading up on some stuff about intentional ground to make sure I had it right. If you're the quarterback and you give it to somebody else, you give up those protections as well. And so as a wide receiver, you get, you give up that protection in the first place. Second example, very easy example. Why does that rule exist? All right. Say you're a running back or say, it's a, you know, get the ball, Run, take a run to the outside right and this is a very simplistic probably too simplistic way to put it ball goes to the outside hey I'm about to get dropped in the backfield for negative 5 yards run back just says boop throw it away technically he can throw it because there wasn't a forward pass on the play but he just goes and immediately downs it he's out of the tackle box throws it away well no you can't do that and so that's part of it right so Albert's play design there is, if it doesn't work, if one guy doesn't get open, your best bet is technically a sack. Or Coymore trying to get as many yards as he can, you know, running upfield. Steady throws a right to LSU. Calling that play and that opportunity and that time on the field, I get... You run plays and you and you and you install a game plan. And there's some stuff at Auburn's game plan that worked. You know they found a way to get Robbie Ashford explosive plays downfield. They got a little bit of wiggle room in the running game. Now, one of the biggest red flags issues. Whoa, what the heck's going on here? Is that this is either the third or the fourth straight game where Tank Bigsby has just not been a factor. He had a couple of good plays, but if you look at things like EPA, it's in the negatives, where it's like he's not making a positive impact on the game. <clears throat> Jarquez Hunter did in this game, busted a couple of runs, had that huge reception in the game. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big that's a pretty big red flag, I think, when the guy that you think you would consider to be one of the most talented running backs in the SEC isn't doing doing much, but. Auburn moves Brandon Council to center, something we had discussed earlier in the week, um, starting Camp Stutz and Alec Jackson at guard. To their credit, I think this was Auburn's best game on the offensive line against a quality opponent this season. They created some lanes in the running game. Not perfect, but created some lanes in the running game. It felt like Ashford w- was pressured a decent amount, but not a ton, only sacked twice. And so you made some progress there. And yet it gets obscured by the fact that it completely wiped away, I think. By the fact that you couldn't you couldn't finish drives. And it's and it's things like that. It's you get opportunities and you turn the ball over, you get opportunities and you have penalties knock you back. Or you have like like the like the before the coin. I mean Albert had first and goal at the five. They end up throwing a wide receiver pass on second and goal from the ten and he gets intercepted like there's there's different things that could have worked could have worked could have worked and it's execution it's execution you can keep set you can keep pointing to execution The problem with it is is that again like i said there are guys that get paid a lot of money to make sure the execution's right and that's and it's not at the
1: moment the trick play is a very funny thing to do and of course you know It'll, they
0: had one that worked in the I was game. gonna
1: say it would be pointed out that if it worked, there would have been a lot of celebration. But you did seemingly you know, now that we've got the beauty of hindsight, like a lot more in that design seems to have been able to go wrong versus the one outcome of like, hey, maybe they forget to cover this guy.
0: Right. And like the the red zone trick plays, you go back to the Penn State game last year. And some other or maybe the actually the Penn State trick play was early in the game. Early in the half, not in the red zone. They they just haven't worked more like the sweet wildcat flea flicker to <coughs> Omari Kelly in this game. That was that was a good trick play. This one was far from it. It's just again the design where it's like if there's only one guy that can get open, you know, at most, or I'm sorry, at least he's going to have two two guys who could cover him. And if the other option is thrown away, it's a, it's a negative play. It's almost guaranteed to be a negative play unless it doesn't hit, unless that guy doesn't get open, and you're trusting one guy to get open against multiple defenders. The element of surprise or whatever, it's it's a perplexing one for sure. Some other decisions. Two fourth and long calls. Where Auburn in the second half, where Auburn is in no man's land. It was fourth and ten on the thirty-seven. The LSU thirty-seven. So fifty-four yard field goal, too long. Anders Carlson just isn't. I mean, I don't know if we're going to start to see Alex McPherson soon, but it's just, it's just not, it's just not working for Anders right now. Misses a forty-yarder. It just doesn't seem to be a ton of faith right now. And look, I mean, he had he had a, he had an ACL sir ACL injury on his plant leg like that. That that obviously is going to affect a guy. If you punt from past the forty, ball goes in the end zone. What you get seventeen yards of field position. So you're asking your punter to hit something really short on a dime, or you go for it. Auburn calls timeout. They That goes for it. I think they caught they, they burned that timeout. It ended up not really mattering because LSU got it on third down anyway, uh, at the end of the game. But like <laughs> better than putting it after calling a timeout because it was it looked genuinely like they didn't know what was going on. Like they weren't sure what to do. And a lot of times on third downs, like when you get to third down, it's like, hey, let's be an alert. Like if if, if this play goes this way or this you know what you're about to do and it said they burn a timeout, they throw it downfield in a double coverage, no chance. Maybe an arm punt at that best case. The second time they try it, they get a defense holding holding penalty and it moves the chains and so it's like well, I believe that was on, yeah, that was on the that was on the that was on the drive that ended in the uh in the trick play interception. It's tough cuz it's like it is no man's land in terms of field position, like probably too close to punt, too far for a field goal, and then it's fourth and you know, ten or so. So but you gotta be decisive with whatever you do on those spots. And guys have going forward on fourth down, they'll be aggressive. Like, you know, like Lane kiffin has been known to be really, really aggressive. I think Brian Harson's been really aggressive on fourth downs and it's paid off for him um a few times this season. Other times it hasn't. It's just that that's another one where that it's like not everybody's on the same page or whatever, and it, and it hurts. It costs you. Now, it didn't cost you the second time because you get bailed out by a holding call <clears throat> on the defense, but, hey, it worked. You know, you just got to be decisive one way or another where it's like be comfortable with punting in that situation and trying to play field position Try a long uh, field goal with probably a kicker who has a powerful leg like a McPherson. Or have a different fourth down call. You either go to either of those. The timeouts at the end of the second quarter. I, I know there are some Auburn fans that were upset at that because LSU ends up scoring. They have more time to do so. I don't really... That one, to me, is just more like, hey, if it worked, it's not as bad of a decision. Um, I thought it was very aggressive. I could have gone either way. I just the way that Auburn's offense has started to tail off a little bit there in the second quarter, maybe you don't want to get aggressive with it. Maybe you don't want to get in that. But, I don't know, man. Auburn going in two-minute drill was the best way that they looked against Missouri on offense. But a third down, legal hands to the face, call on Derek Hall, LSU ends up scoring. And LSU ends up scoring because Auburn breaks down some things. Yeah, you know, that John Emery catch, you know, it looks like a, from the TV angle that Owen Papo's supposed to have him in the flat, he steps up to the quarterback, Daniels just floats it over <clears throat> to Emery. Emery gets all the way down to the one they end up scoring off of it. So, like, yeah, there's mistakes that were made, there were decisions that were made on the defensive end that came back a bit Auburn, but I don't know, it's just using those timeouts, I think being aggressive in that situation. When it works, you look smart. When it works, you look you look good. Um, I think in the first of all the decisions that people criticized after the game, that was the one that I thought was like, man, it came so close to working out. Much more so than the fourth and ten call. Uh, much more so than the, than the trick play, obviously, in the
1: red zone. Yeah, I can follow the logic of trying to get back possession after you almost were able to go up. You know, seventeen. Well, I say almost. But if you go down the length of the field and score, you go up twenty-four zero. Instead, of course, you turn the ball over, and now you're looking at a ten-point game. So I, I follow the logic of trying to steal those points back.
0: Yeah. I,
1: now, would I, I have agree. done it? I, you know, and of course, again, once again, hindsight's helping me. But I, I was surprised to see them. Like, you know, what we're gonna, we're gonna be hyper aggressive in this situation.
0: And it and it came close to working out. Can go either way. I can see why Auburn fans said, "Hey, don't do that there." I mean, LSU ended up scoring with 15 seconds on the clock. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get it to a degree. I don't know, Auburn was Auburn was throwing the ball pretty well in that that second quarter. That one that one backfired. I think the other one's decisions where it's just like, "Oh, that's a really tough call in that spot." You can see a lot a lot more negatives and positives. That one seemed kind of 50-50, and it didn't work. And Harson just said, hey, after the game, he said, we just wanted to call our timeouts early. We wanted to call our timeouts on defense. Preserve time. We wanted the ball back. We wanted another shot. And the other thing there is, is like try to manipulate the middle eight as much as you can because LSU was going to get the ball to start the second half. So try to steal one more possession if you can get it and try to find a way to get, get on the board. Doesn't work out. Uh, but it, it doesn't work out. Penalties, Auburn had eight penalties for 80 yards. Most of those came in the second half. Those were real killers in the second half. It felt like. I mean, so there was things in this game that were positive, like they threw the ball on first down almost as much as they ran the ball. Like there was some stuff that you saw. It's like okay, these are different. They didn't go to his. It didn't feel like they went to under center quite as much. Not as many two tight ends. That's stuff we talked about from the film room last week. Didn't go to it as much. Felt like Ashford was more comfortable making more plays. Again, made mistakes. wasn't a very accurate quarterback on the whole. That's gonna happen. Like, that's just that's the dude you got. But you've also got a dude that can scramble, keep plays alive, be a weapon with his legs, and throw it downfield. Um, he's got a he's got a big he's got a big arm. Like, missed some easy makes. So did Jaden Daniels. So I mean, your offense, your offense was two point seven yards per play better than, than LSU's was. That's usually enough to win. Bill Connolly, ESPN, there's thing if we've heard before called post game win expectancy, which is here's what the stats say at the end of the game. Here's like uh the winning team, here's the chance that they have to win if you just take that that box score at face value. LSU had an eight percent post game win expectancy. Because they got out gained so much. And yeah, fumbles and turnovers can 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 shape a game a ton. It's a huge difference in this game, but it's like you still like you had your opportunities. It wasn't like, oh well, Auburn had all these turnovers and then, you know, didn't move the ball as well. That's where this was different than the Penn State game. This was different than the Missouri game. You know, Auburn went three and out three times in this game, only had a couple of drives where it was really short. Like they, they had some methodical possessions. They, they moved it. They had, yeah, sixty-one percent of their available yards gained in this game. Just to LSU's forty percent, and and the fumble and the scoop and score. It changed the game. It, it turned a lot on a dime there for them. But you still, you still move the ball. You still had your opportunity. You just couldn't cash in. And I keep saying it every week. <laughs> This game is about finishing drives. That's, that's what winning football is. It's can you finish your drives, and can you prevent your opponent from, from finishing theirs? Because they're going to get scoring opportunities. You're going to get scoring opportunities, and the team that usually wins is the one that does the best. You can get the big, long play. You can get a uh, wh- whether it's an explosive play, like Auburn's first touchdown, or cashing in when you cross the 40 on a drive. This game is about finishing those and and doing the best you can to prevent your opponent from doing it. And even with the defensive touchdown, LSU was better at finishing drives in this game. Even even take the defensive touchdown out of the equation. The opportunities that they got, they were better on a on a point per drive basis than Auburn was. And that's going to uh, that loses you a lot of, you add that with the turnover problem and the turnover problem obviously affects that you're not going to you're not going to beat quality football teams like that. And the thing is we said this about Auburn after the Missouri game, we said it after the Penn State game. The way Auburn played in those two games, you were going to have a hard time beating an SEC opponent in the future playing that way. Well, guess what? Auburn ha- still had their opportunity to do that and they and they improved on things there. The offensive line looked a little better. You had some explosiveness in the passing game. Your defense again played one of their best games in a decade plus. And still You lose because it's the same problems just in true LSU Auburn fashion, just to the extreme. It can't be just, oh, well, Auburn's offense didn't finish. Defense made a few mistakes, you know, and you lose that way. It was, no, you you got huge plays. You got big opportunities. You had chance after chance after chance, and it fell by the wayside. And I think that's just part of Auburn LSU. And in the fourth quarter, when the when the turnovers went back and forth, that's just pure uncut Auburn LSU. You're on the wrong end of that one. And this one, this one's gonna sting. Uh, the other ones are gonna sting. I don't know. Here's the thing: you're the you're the fan perspective. You went to to the game as as a fan. Pain hurt pain, sting or is there numbness? Because I felt a I felt a combination looking at the timeline after the game.
1: Well, there was an uh, air of like comedy to it all and like feeling it come crashing down pretty quickly also the the walk back from the stadium was tough because it was just like people talking about like monday like there was no there's just like a sense of defeat um i i will say you've talked a good bit about that penn state game as an opportunity to sort of reset change momentum narrative whatever I don't know how much of this season was ever going to be salvageable for this staff. I mean, things have seemingly gone very south. It seems like it's going to be hard for them to get back on the right track. Yeah. This seemed to me like you got gifted that Missouri game. And you put yourself in a position yet again to win another conference game. It's like if there was going to be some sort of Hail Mary, it probably started with an LSU win.
0: Right. And yet, you lose that opportunity. And, right,
1: and just like the Missouri, like the, the games are just getting harder.
0: You think Georgia's is going to take it easy after almost losing to Missouri?
1: They've played kind of spotty football for the last two weeks. Oh, it's it's going to get nasty. It's going to get nasty. They are going to be locked in, uh, and they've got Man. they've given their coaching staff plenty of reasons to point to why they're not all that good right now. And you know, hey. Fair for the coaching staff to use it against them, but they're they're gonna they're gonna make life miserable for Auburn.
0: And then the week after that you play an all miss team that's still undefeated. That seems to have not perfect. Seems to have some things figured out rolling with this roster that they've gotten, this quarterback specifically. Lane Kiffin has gotten it, so that running game as well. Doing doing real well for them. So yeah, we'll talk about it a little bit, big picture before we close. But it's it only gets harder from here. It only gets a lot harder from here. It's a, it's a missed opportunity, and it it's just been missed opportunity. The Iron Bowl, the South Carolina game, the you know Penn State obviously went way out of hand in the second half. But like it's missed opportunity. It's missed opportunity. It's missed opportunity. And it's like you you only get so many of those. You only get so many of those and then each one that you miss is just even less and less of a chance of this thing breaking right for them.
1: And and to go back to your question, like what this sense was, at least among some of the people I was around, as I said, like when I was walking back from the game, I didn't hear people recapping the game or talking about like, well, if this had been different, you know, there was none of that. There was not really any talk of the game. It was just sort of like a well, we did that, let's all kind of forget where we've been the last three and a half hours.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a brutal spot to be in because I mean you were in there you you heard it better than me because the sealed off press box at Jordan Hare Stadium is kind of like a fishbowl for us. It seemed though the atmosphere was I mean Jordan Hare was on was was in peak Jordan Hare form I thought. Um, student section went bonkers, um, and and you missed that you you just you just let that opportunity go by the wayside because the next time they play at home in a month <laughs> almost when they play Arkansas who knows what this program looks like at this point who knows what the fan base is feeling at this point like there's still going to be support There's still going to be uh, the students are still going to max out I think because like you only get so many of those opportunities if you're them but like what does everything else look like I'll say that you got to give Auburn fans credit. Like, there's, for all the negativity and all the doubt and all of the, you know, everything going on with how they feel about the program right now and the staff and all that. Still, you, second half of that game or first half when Auburn got off, like, during that game from the crowd reaction, you couldn't, you couldn't really tell that Auburn was a program in turmoil. Like, they, they still showed up and showed out. And that's the other thing. It's like, I know things could get rough next season for Auburn in terms of their roster. They're going to have to make some moves in the transfer portal, and and recruiting is going to have to step up. And, and there's a lot of a lot of things that have to be sorted out between now and then. Um, but it's the it's the thought process that it's like, oh well, Auburn's doomed, or is it, I mean, they still got guys, they still got talent. That defense showed up. There's some uh, guys. Javarius Johnson is making a ton of plays, and should probably get the be getting the ball a whole lot more. Like Auburn's got the bounce back ability, as we saw in 2013, as we've seen time and time again. For they can bounce back like that, whether it's on a weekly basis or a yearly basis. And so that ought to give you some. If you're an Auburn fan, that's, that ought to give you some, some hope that you can hold on to the future. Whatever happens to this program, whoever's leading it, whoever's a part of it player, coach, whatever administration moving forward. What should give you some confidence, some hope is that even in the face of they like this is not working. This is not going well. Abandon all hope. You're a joke. You're a dumpster fire. Everybody in the country is talking about how bad you are and how no one wants to you know, college game. Day, they say, well, there's nobody, you know, there's nobody who's playing hard for Auburn. You know, there's, you know, blah, 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 blah. That was Pat McAfee, which I'll give him credit. He's loud. Um, and America loves a loud guy. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you still, you still did that. You still got on that, on that, uh, at that spot, and that that says something. That should say something about what happens in the unknown days ahead for Auburn football. Maybe not as much in Athens next week. Maybe not as much in Oxford the week after that. But when you have people coming to Jordan Hare Stadium. I mean, how many? I mean, how many people? I mean, I've seen people say this. I talked to some people at a tailgate yesterday. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, it's like right now you feel negative. Right now you feel like, oh yeah, there's no way this is gonna work, or you know, this is you, change has got to come. Right, talked to a bunch of Auburn fans who said that, and then they step through the gates. Something clicks for a lot of them in their heads, and that performance showed why that they, that that still clicks because it's it's something about that place, man. It's just something about about that stadium and you felt it, I know you felt it.
1: Yeah, I mean it's one of the only silver linings. Uh whatever happens next year, it seems like it we might be in a totally different era, but for now, whoever is leading that program like you do have uh some real weight behind you with the fan base, with the resources um yeah, I think I think it is one of the few selling points. It's like even in a season that's seemingly going downhill and has looked that way for what well, almost a month now, at least since the Penn State game. Like there has not been a a quit. And, and I guess I don't want to give the fans too much credit. Like you said, you only yeah. get a few of these. Like enjoy them, go out. Like you know. Th- It's not like we need to give ourselves a standing ovation, but there is an element as Lane Kiffin criticizes his own fan base in the midst of a good season. On an undefeated team, yeah. It's like, all right, it's still nice to see some show up. Um, Yeah. I I tend to agree with you too. Like the next time we're in Jordan-Hare Stadium, the buy-in might be a lot lower.
0: Yeah, and it's like there are real questions about like if Auburn has an opening, who wants the job, who's going to be scared off of it, those are real questions, but also, I'm not AJ McCarron, but like Auburn's Auburn's got resources. This is a place where it's not Alabama, it's not Georgia, but man, at its best, it can hang with them, and we've seen that time and time again. And uh, the fan base and the resources and all that, like you can bounce back pretty quickly here. And I think you saw a, a miniature version of that Saturday night in Jordan hare in a season that seems to be going downhill, 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 they had an opportunity. But the problem is again, double digit lead, nothing in the second half, a loss. It's just as I wrote on 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 uh, Sunday morning. As unpredictable as the game shaped out, uh, shook out. Phew, that was really bad, grammar there. As as bad as the game shook out, or as unpredictable as the game shook out for Auburn. The end result, hey, Auburn blew a double digit league, couldn't do anything in the second half and lost. Like you could have probably seen that one. Like if you would have told somebody that before the game, you're like, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: It is the blueprint that we have been given to this point. We've talked about a blueprint, and and that is not what I meant when I said I wanted to see proof of concept.
0: All right. Let's take care of some business before we wrap up. Also got a little basketball to talk here at the end. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for putting up with me sounding terrible. And I probably have coughed too many times into the microphone. Painter's done a really good job of editing this at this point, I'm sure. But if you want more of this podcast and you enjoy it and you want our preview podcast, uh, you you get twice of it, at least twice, uh, twice as much podcast. If you subscribe to the Auburn servers along with all of the newsletters we write covering Auburn football and men's basketball film rooms, mailbags, uh, deep dives into the numbers and strategy that um, we try to give you some stuff that you might not get anywhere else when it comes to Auburn football and men's basketball. If you want to be a part of that, it's $6 a month or $60 a year to sign up for The Observer. Go to auburnobserver.com, click around, easy way to sign up there. We email everything to you as well, so every time a new podcast comes up or every time a new newsletter drops, it goes straight in your inbox. It's the easiest way to read and listen uh, to what we've got going on, so appreciate those of you tune in. <clears throat> um, you also get the uh, Friends of the Program podcast. On top of that, I'm sure there will be a new one here in the next few days. That seems kind of like a lock. Um, logistically, a little tougher this, we- this this past weekend because of people traveling and whatnot. But um, if you want to hear more of a fan perspective with Painter and Pablo and Dave, you can get that as well. Only with a subscription to The Observer, uh, check it out. We uh, we really appreciate those of you who have joined up. You also get a seven-day free trial if you check it out. You can test us out for a little bit. If you like us, get the full subscription. The only It only cost, I mean, at the end, you're paying like a few cents per thing we do. Um, so, like I said, $6 a month or $60 if you want to go ahead and pay for the full year and get that discount. You can also help us out by paying absolutely no money, whether you're a subscriber to The Observer or not, and you just listen to the free podcast. Uh, by the way, premium podcast later this week, we'll preview the Georgia game. We're going to try to have two guests on for that one, uh, two ones that y'all are familiar with if you've listened to this podcast before. We appreciate Brody Miller joining us last week for the LSU podcast, Audrey Snyder a couple weeks ago for Penn State. So a lot of those those preview podcasts, a lot of fun. People who subscribe say they're their favorite ones of the week. Yeah, subscribe to be a part of that though. Let's so check us out. We'd really, really appreciate it. Um, and, and thank you all who do that. But you like I said, you can help us out without paying any more money. Painter, tell them how they can do it.
1: Rate review, subscribe. Rate review subscribe, people. It takes like twenty seconds.
0: Yeah, go to Apple Podcasts, search the Auburn Observer, click the Auburn Observer, scroll down to ratings and reviews, tap write a review, give us a little love. Uh, we will read it on the air because we're vain people. And also we like to shout you guys out. This is from WLB ATL says, this is my third review and I wish I could give it a six star. Um, yeah, you can have, if you have multiple counts, multiple email addresses, we'll game the system. We don't care. Uh, it says Justin and painter helping me cope with the worst Auburn offense in 1998 when the Tigers were quarterbacked by another baseball player who, uh, I am grateful for the perspective and humor. I'm also thankful for friends of the program. When I need the podcast equivalent of a shot of whiskey, kudos to all. I think that's the vibe y'all are going for, right?
1: Yeah, I've had a few people say they like it. It uh, feels like bar talk, so I guess if that's your thing.
0: Yeah. If you want to enjoy that kind of perspective, you got that covered. And uh, there should be another one of those cut up this week. Also, as we talked about last week on the free podcast... They're here, folks, Homefield Apparel, our friends, HomefieldApparel.com. You can get some of the best Auburn gear, the best Auburn gear that you're going to find anywhere. Uh, the most comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, <clears throat> and crew neck sweatshirts, uh, great Auburn designs for football, basketball, and baseball. If you're into that, um, you can check that out at homefieldapparel.com. Also, you can buy the official Auburn Observer t-shirt. It's a nice blue heather navy uh t-shirt it's the most comfortable t-shirt you're going to buy anywhere it's got our uh logo on the on the uh on the left chest if you like um what we're doing and you think our logo is cool or you want to support us that way tell you, it's an easy way to market you guys are our best marketing tools you can buy them at homefieldapparel.com 15 percent off your first order at Homefield if you type in the promo code observer when you check out so Scoop up an Observer shirt, get some Auburn gear, get some other really cool gear for other teams that you care about or like or just think their stuff looks cool, homefieldapparel.com is the place to get it. We appreciate Connor and the gang for hook us up with our T-shirts. They look great. Um, I know some of you should be getting them in this week. Um, if you get them in, take pictures of them. Set, tweet, tweet them at me and Painter. We would definitely, definitely appreciate that uh, with the support and just see how see how they look in the flesh. Um all right, I think that's it in terms of business. Like I said, we're going to have a preview podcast later this week. We are efforting to have both Jordan Hill and our longtime Georgia guest, Ben Walk on the program at the same time. That should be a really fun podcast. That'll be out later this week. Um, we'll talk Auburn, Georgia. We might save some of the bigger picture stuff until then. I'm sure you guys will talk about it also on Friends of the Program. So instead, let's switch gears here. Let's talk some basketball before we wrap up. First week of Auburn basketball practice uh, has has gone underway. Big news right off the bat. Um, Allen Flanagan is out right now for Auburn uh, due to what Bruce Pearl is calling um, personal family reasons. Um, all right, here's the thing. Uh, the There's a lot of unknown about this. Don't know when. It seem like there's a timetable. No specifics have really been... Uh, given their – hope everything goes well with with, with Al and his family. Um, and, you know, I think Auburn, until then, it would be interesting to see how they kind of manage things with small forward. Uh, they'd love to have Al back as soon as they could uh, because if you don't have him, that's going to put a lot of pressure on a guy like Chance Westry, who's a true fr- – talented player, looked really good in Israel, true freshman. Chris Moore didn't play a ton of minutes last season, although – Bruce Pearl said recently that he thought Chris had an outstanding summer until then. Let's see how Auburn kind of manages it. Um, so been at practice a few times uh, just go ahead and drop this out uh, out there. I think, you know, we're deep enough in the podcast. I don't think I'm telling any secrets here, um, but I go to practice. I get to see some things. Bruce Pearl, opens these practices up for us but for us as as media members one of the exchanges we make is can't really report on a lot of stuff Practices it's, it's kind of for our information or our knowledge um so like you won't hear like injury reports from me or you know stuff like that that's just kind of how bruce has always done practices and you know we'll um you know we're, we're gonna play by the rules, but out there there's a lot of info gathering right now it's interviews already have talked to katie johnson there's katie johnson story last week on the observer well, shooting to have another basketball newsletter this week gonna try to have at least one a week as we get closer and closer to basketball season um so it's not all doom and gloom uh from the football side uh on the newsletter uh, front um but yeah so al uh currently away from the team I uh, see see uh, if he can get back. That would be a big help for Auburn uh, if, he, if he's able to get back, and the sooner the better. Um, yeah, this team, Bruce talking about, I, I think it seems we talked about it a little deeper, more physical. I think defensively they're going to look different. Not going to be as reliant on, on rim protection, even the Jani Broom and, and um, uh, Dylan Carwell definitely can fill in that role for them. I want to talk about? We wrote about it last week. If you're an Observer subscriber, you were able to read it. I wanted to talk about it quick on the free podcast. Painter, Katie Johnson's lost 19 pounds from where he was last season. I'm telling, dude looks good. Can't get into a ton of details, like I said about what you see in practice, like in the specifics. But I can just tell you, dude's moving really well and playing really well. His teammates have seen a big difference in him. Um. A more explosive Katie Johnson. I don't know if – that's what he said. He says he feels more explosive. I think he looks more explosive. I don't know if everyone's ready for Katie to be more explosive than he was last season because, I mean, he is he is the embodiment of an explosive basketball player in a, a lot of good ways and even some negative ways for his team when things don't go well with a shot.
1: I was surprised that he had essentially 20 pounds to get rid of.
0: Yeah, he was. he was – you know, he's – For a guard, played a little thick. Right, right, thick boy. Kind of running back, linebacker kind of. Right, right. He was saying, he was like, during COVID, he gained some of that weight. And, like, (laughs) it was never really comfortable kind of that playing weight that he's had really his first couple of college seasons. So, he got back to what he was in high school, at prep school, which is about 185 pounds. Um, Zeb Jasper says he's doing reverse dunks in practices. Um, He's getting up there, man. Like, he's – there's a there seems to be an extra spring in his step. This is already a dude for Auburn. That was one of the most aggressive when it comes to fast break offense. One of the most aggressive in attacking defenses a defense with its with his steals. Um, it'd be very interesting to see where Katie ends up. And I I think the Katie the Katie question is so interesting because this season, you know in Israel, you saw Auburn uh, in the in the tour. Katie's best games he played came off the bench, and you wonder. Wendell Green looks like he's ready to take over as as the as the point guard. Like that that seems to be kind of where Auburn's pointing towards right now. Wendell Green Jr. being the guy at point guard, running the show, taking control, not coming off the bench this season. So then you get an interesting decision of who starts next to him, whether that's Zepp Jasper. Do you want to start with that defense? You know, have that lockdown ability, Zepps working on his off ball game a little bit more, working on being more aggressive with his shot, as he said, uh, when he talked to us last week. Or do you start a guy like Katie Johnson? Explosive, you know, when Auburn started Katie last year, after the first few games, he made such a difference. He can take over a game. He's a finisher for you. Additionally, eh, maybe a guy like Chance Wester, he could be something. You know, wh- whatever happens at, at the three, you can kind of manipulate some of that. Um. I do think, like, if if Auburn opted to have KD come off the bench this year, say you want to say start with Zep, with his ball, his assisted turnover ratio, and his great on ball defense right off the bat, I think KD and ex- more explosive KD as a as a six man, you know, and you can manipulate how the minutes shake out on a matchup basis. I think I think there's a lot of value in that. And when asked about kind of his role and kind of what he played, he said. Hey, I'm i gonna do whatever Bruce Pearl tells me to do. Like, you know, he he trusts this staff, he trusts, you know, being here. Um, so that's gonna be that's gonna be an interesting little nugget. I I Auburn's how Auburn's lineup and rotation develops. I don't think it'll necessarily be set in stone until we get like really on, on top of the season or maybe even a few games into it, the way it shakes out early that early season schedule before the challenges really ramp up kind of around December. Yeah, it's also a crazy to think about. Like Auburn basketball comes back, and <laughs> we're we're a month away now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in that. Maybe having having Katie coming off coming off the bench. So we'll see how how Auburn feels that their best look is. But I don't think you can go wrong. And and one of the things you can kind of feel is a difference for Auburn this season is Katie, Wendell, Zepp, They're all coming back. You know, you're not hitting the reset button. There's familiarity, and I think that's that's going to allow Auburn to get probably get off to a quicker start, at least in what they want to do with their backcourt this year.
1: It's a fun – you know, the, the really good side of KD Johnson that we've seen that you wrote about recently, I know it can be <laughs> volatile, but him coming off the bench, if he gives you a more consistent, good KD uh, with what I think we're both expecting out of Wendell – Um, hopefully a more aggressive Zepp Jasper. Very uh, exciting prospect between those three guys. But uh, bringing a a consistent KD off the bench is, you know, I think we talked about this a good bit last year. Like, there becomes a point where it's just tough for teams to defend when you are getting good play off the bench that deep. Um, I hope it works out for KD. hope we get a little bit more consistency.
0: Yeah, because I think when – when Auburn won last season, KD was one of his, their best players. Like he was not too far off in terms of impact with uh Jabari and and um Walker and even like there was some areas where he was even better than Wendell in the games where he won. When it lo- when the in the losses, really rough shooting percents. He talked about how uh he had a um he had a hand injury um that he kind of re aggravated against Georgia last year, his shot fell off. Dramatically after that. Maybe that you see some more consistency there from him. Again, you don't need him to be Steph Curry. You know, you don't need him you don't necessarily need him to be a guy who shoots forty percent from deep. But if he can step up in that area and be more consistent, you saw in some games like the like the Missouri game, uh, like the Mississippi State game, you know, like he has the ability to take over and when he gets locked in. It's hard for dudes to stay in front of him on defense, and if he has confidence in his shot, it's – it's it, it ter- and, and he, can, he can create so much offense with his defense. So be interested to see what KD looks like moving forward. Like I said, you can read that story of the Observer from last week if you subscribe, and also we will try to have more basketball content, basketball newsletters, talking more on the podcast as we get closer and closer to the season, not just because Auburn football is not very – uh, optimistic. Right? The view is not very optimistic, and we're not trying to depress you guys too much. But also, like, one of the stated goals when we started this thing was we're gonna cover basketball just as hard as we cover football. And we're in the preseason. We're in the we're in the middle of preseason there for them. So, uh, really, really uh, excited to see what happens here moving forward and um, getting more opportunities to watch practice and and talk to these players. And Bruce Pearl um, should be interested to see moving forward. All right, I think that's going to do it, Painter. By the way, before we go, you were back You were back in the village this weekend. We hung out several times. Uh, wanna, Very nice. shout out. Yeah, want to shout out um, our friends uh, from the Orange and True podcast, uh, College Mag, Chief, uh, Ryan, and the gang, uh, James as well, uh, and then uh, Zach uh, from In the Valley Shook and uh, the LSU uh, side of the world. Wonderful tailgate we got to hang out at before the game. Some jambalaya and some uh, some shrimp etouffee that was made right there. That was really really good, uh, fantastic. Wanted to shout those guys out because that was thank them for the invite, but also just like that food was nuts. LSU week's always fun for that regard. But you're back in in the city this weekend, Painter. The the prodigal son returning home. Another um, game didn't go well, but. it had to be good to have it Uh, it was good it was good for me to have you back in town but how did you feel i know you know we're recording this early on sunday morning because you got to leave uh to to go back to parts unknown later today but uh yeah that's the 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 prodigal son returned how are are we feeling
1: great to see you and a bunch of other people uh appreciate everybody who reached out obviously like the only thing with these weekend trips they never do feel long enough there's always people that you feel like you can't uh, spend enough time with or don't get to spend any time with at all, but it's fun to be back. You know, even in a year, like it's it's always kind of a, I'm sure it's this way for people who've spent time in Auburn and then come back um, like I did. A lot has changed in a year,
0: a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot <laughs> yes. of growth, a lot
1: of, uh, yeah, so um, that, was, that was fun just riding around, seeing what was the same and what had changed a little bit. Um, fantastic weekend.
0: Yeah, we need to we need to get you back here for basketball basketball
1: weekend. Absolutely. Also, Auburn High getting it done.
0: all Auburn High number one team in the in the state. Still undefeated big win over Opelika. Historic win over Opelika last weekend. Shout out to the Baby Tigers. All right. And apologies to all of those of you who are Opelika. <laughs> I know th- I know <laughs> there getting are, a little I know there are a number here. of you. I know there are a number of you who uh who listen to this. So, we're not going to harp on it too long, but you got an Auburn High alum on, on the air right now and somebody who uh, is very well connected to uh, that school, even though he didn't go there. Um, all right, that'll do it for us. Appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate, appreciate you guys supporting. Want to say this, September's coming gone. Beginning of the month, end of the month, a ton of you staying on board. A lot of renewals for our annual subscriptions came up. The last few weeks. Um, thank you so much for staying on board with us guys. Um, the fact that y'all continue to pay for our, uh, our newsletters and our podcast means the world. Uh, you make this not only the best job we've ever had, but also I'm, I don't want to speak too much for painter here. I mean, painter has a real day job as well, but um, I would say the easiest and most enjoyable like job we've, we, we've had. So that's all. Thanks to y'all. Thank you for staying on board. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, if you're not subscribed to the server, it's a perfect time to join up because uh, we'll have anything that happens with football here in the next few weeks and months on top of uh, wall-to-wall coverage of Auburn basketball season. All right, that's it for me. Painter, final thoughts.
1: Whoever your God is, pray to him.